We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest and then the final event the behind the bangs writing workshop i finally did it put it together put together this workshop because i wrote this book in many ways for younger me and younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught i wanted the gyms i wanted i wanted the knowledge i wanted the education that's what i would have wanted so i've decided i'm doing it and in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn 15 years in my 15 year career as a tv writer and author and blah 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 all the other things i've written there are six things that i always use and all of those are in this workshop so if you have an interest in writing sign up all the ticket links are live today click the show notes click my instagram we are coming to a city near you and there's going to be some meet and greets i'll sign some copies of books we'll give out more books and i have uh, some pieces of merch that i'm taking on the road and i'm gonna give them out at the shows Before we get started, I want to shout out some amazing reviews we have gotten. Reviews help us so much to grow this podcast. So if you leave us a dope review, I will give you a shout out. So username Dogslay said intelligent and funny. Okay, thank you. And you said you love the way I call out bad behavior as well as empathy and uh, on display for fellow humans. And I truly work at that. So thank you. Um, You also said you felt like I was not forcing my laugh, which I'm not. (laughs) Um, I'm not and I couldn't. And then Emmy from the block said, I found my people, which Emmy, that's how I feel about this podcast and and the cookies. And Emmy said their very first memoir was Drew Barrymore's Little Girl Lost in 91. What an incredible start to your memoir journey. Such an intense one. So such an odd one to look back on. I love doing that episode. Um, Sarah JVT said, fancy, you never let me down. Okay, thank you, Sarah. A fancy reference. Are you kidding me? You know I love fancy. I consider fancy the secret theme song of this podcast. And um, you, uh, you, I, you said it was a pragmatic and engaging guide, which like what great thoughtful words. And you said, I'm killing it. You said, you're killing it fancy to me, which... Uh, I love that. Um, So many good reviews. So leave us a review. We'll shout you out. Also, you guys have to say, someone just, I'm just seeing, someone left me a review that said they want current books only and they don't want to listen to books from 2008. Ugh, I disagree. The Ricky Lake book was so good to go back on. But um, if you you disagree, leave me a note um, and leave it with five stars and I'll give you a shout out. Okay, that is all. Now, before we dive in, please know this is a highly sexual episode. The content of the book is sexual. The words I used are sexual. Uh, the, the My co-host and myself discuss a lot of things. It gets raw. So 
be forewarned and uh, buckle in. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of female celebrities. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. Now, this week we are book clubbing Priscilla Presley's 1985 memoir about her marriage to Elvis Presley, very aptly titled Elvis and Me. This book has so much. It's bringing you a 14-year-old girl meeting Elvis when he was 24. It has an egregious amount of karate and a complex mystery that I hope to solve with my guest today regarding whether or not Elvis eats pussy. We're in Palm Springs right after the wedding. We always dressed up. Elvis never liked that feeling or look as being too relaxed. Look, this was his natural outfit that he would wear at the house either in LA or here in Palm Springs. He always dressed and liked to dress up, and so did I. Elvis had this idea that always looking good for each other, always making sure that that never lapsed. The fact is we cared for each other, loved each other, had fun with each other, but never to get so relaxed that it was kind of sloppy, kind of like, I don't know, and you know, I liked you the way you were before. <laughs> and we are diving into everything Priscilla Presley with my guest, Allison Rosen. Hi, Allison. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, okay, I know that you're going to go into how we know each other, but I, ju- I don't want to like step on that, but I just want to say I stalked you and I forced you to have me on the show. <laughs> Which is such a great meeting story. Like, I just felt so, <laughs> maybe that, you know, this, from a woman, I felt so loved and desired. You know, she yeah. had, had it been a is dude, it, I would have run. But from you, I was like, oh my God, she is my new best friend. Isn't it funny how, uh, how, how, what a double standard it is? Like, oh I, my God, know, thank you. I'm so I, flattered. I, cause I'm exactly the same way. Oh yeah. Well, also I was like, wait, Allison Rosen, like I know her, like that's crazy. I should be begging her to be on this podcast. <laughs> oh. oh, you're, um, see, you're too kind. Whereas if a dude said that, I'd be like, what's your angle? <laughs> what's your angle? What do you want from me? Right. Um, no, you're incredible. And let me mention a few ways how. So Allison is the host of Allison Rosen is your new best friend, a podcast that is so good. Uh, Upworthy Weekly, a lighthearted news podcast and Childish, which is a parenting-ish podcast with comedian Greg Fitzsimmons. She's also an author. So, I mean, just so, so on the nose for this podcast. (laughs) Um, She's the author of the book, Tropical Attire Encouraged and Other Phrases That Scare Me, which is the funniest title. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you're here. And okay, so you're into memoirs. You're in the podcast. We gave you a list of books. You also had a bunch of other books. What made you choose Priscilla Presley's book? I read this book. I carried this around with me <gasps> in eighth grade. I have a oh very distinct memory of being in Woodshop in eighth grade, and I had the book sitting there next to my pen bag, and inside the—but it was like a decoy pen bag because okay. inside it had tampons and pads because I went to a school <laughs> where we had cubbies, and so we would— we wouldn't carry, like, I feel like most schools, you carry your backpack from class to class maybe, but at our yeah. school, you'd like put your bag down and you'd put all your bags in your cubby. So if you got your period, you didn't have any way of carrying stuff around. You just had to carry it in your pen bag. Right. Um, and it'd be humiliating if anyone saw that. It was you had- pretty awful. 
that was really eighth grade for me. It was trying to adjust to having my period and then also being obsessed with Elvis and me. So I don't know if you know, oh, wow. at the time, also, there was a mini series and it was like I, broken up into two parts. And I was I've obsessed never with, seen it. Okay. I haven't rewatched it, but I did look okay. and it's on YouTube and I do need to watch it again. I know that the guy, I think his name was Dale, didn't look anything like Elvis. Um, <laughs> and it was, was it Susan? Walters, maybe, who played Priscilla, but it was just fantastically romantic to me. I was around the age that Priscilla was when she was, you know, discovered and romanced in a way by Elvis. And I always fell for older guys. I think there was something so Role, you know, now it's so problematic, but at the time it was like so exciting and romantic. The idea of like a, an older man celebrity who could have his pick of any young girl, but like saw that there was something special in you. So I always fell for stuff like that. Tell me, do you think possibly falling for older men, because you said you were in eighth grade, came because you read this book so young? Well, or do you think that was there before? So my parents, who are still together, are 16 years apart, which, by the way, that's like, as I've gotten older and I've, you know, in therapy and stuff, like, like kudos to them. It works for them. Sure. But, you know, there's a lot of questions I have about that, too. I think I was, so I think I was, like, primed to think that there's something Romantic. Unique and yeah, and Unique special. And special God. Well, about Allison, that. I've I've, um, I've dated um, one particular, a couple, but one particular older man who I've talked about on this podcast, and like that's how they get you. You really think yeah. you're so special, right? Like he could have anyone his own age, and instead he chose mature Me. you. Yes, exactly. So I think it was that, and I think also I was I never felt super comfortable or popular around my peers. Mm-hmm. And I always felt more comfortable around, you know, grownups and older people. And so I think that there's something about like people your age, they see exactly what's uncool and dorky about you. Whereas older people, they don't quite know how to assess. So yeah. I think that I felt more comfortable around older people. And that was, you know, I I had a pattern of oh you know I re- when I was sixteen I really fell hard for the guy who taught my driving school like every older guy in power I fell for and I mean the way you said people your own age can see exactly what is uncool and bad about you <laughs> is why older men date younger yes. women because all the women their age totally know crazy <laughs> to- totally so because this book was such a like I loved it and was so into it when I was younger. Now that I've kind of been in the process of looking back on my own life and thinking like through a through the lens of how we look at me too and all that now, so many of I'm starting to look at a lot of my own experiences as like those were not the romantic, okay experiences that I really thought they were. When I saw this title, I thought, wait a minute, there's how would I regard this book now? So I think that made me want to reread it. Because I remembered that she was 14 and I'm like, wait a minute. Wait yeah. a minute. What? I mean, you must have had, first off, I'm so glad you did. A lot of people have told me to read this, but it, it looks like a really thick and long book. <laughs> and I was like, sort of all, yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, there's a lot to this. But I'm so glad you had me read it finally because, and I'm so curious as we go through this to hear what you thought of it going back because 
I read, this is the first time reading this, and I was like, oh, this is a story of a young girl who was groomed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In a very predatory way, written as a love story. And like mm-hmm. how crazy it would be to, because a lot of people messaged me and said, like, when I was a kid, I had this book. And, and did and they it, have the same feelings I did about it? Yes. Like, yes. Okay. Like, loving it. Like, oh my right. gosh. Like, it's, and, you know, she writes about it like a ton of sexual stuff. And it's all from the point of view of a young girl, because she was. And so it's very, like, relatable. And like, mm-hmm. I can see it being like so sexy if I wasn't a grown ass woman. And I was like, I really came away from this with the thesis that Elvis is like a fucking loser. Mm-hmm. And, I, if, yes. any, and if any Elvis fans are listening, tap out now because I think this thesis, <laughs> I, I I plan to present evidence throughout the podcast. What a fucking chode this dude right. was. I thought he was like some hot dude. He's a chode. Mm-hmm. He, okay, let's, let's begin. This okay. book starts... Uh, I just want to read page 15, which is how I say this is a book about someone who was groomed. He had been part of my life for 18 years. When we met, I had just turned 14. The first six months I spent with him were filled with tenderness and affection. Blinded by love, I saw none of his faults or weaknesses. He was to become the passion of my life. He taught me everything, how to dress, how to walk, how to apply makeup and wear my hair, how to behave, how to return love his way. Over the years, he became my father, Mm. husband, and very nearly God. Now he was gone, and I felt more alone and afraid than ever in my life. So this is right after he dies. Yeah. He became her father, y'all. And like that, Mm -hmm. I'm so, I will say, she wrote this. She, she walked a line in this book that is masterful. She, she really called out everything that happened but told it in such a nice way that in 1985, when everyone still loved Elvis, they didn't burn her at the stake. Right. You know, like they allowed her to still exist. And so it's like she was just nice and apologetic enough. But like if you, but I mean, it's right there. He met her when she was 14 and made her learn everything his way. And that quote is even on the back of the book under the phenomenal number one bestseller. So that's a selling point. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Like in 1985, they were like, look, she yeah. comes of Elvis. She is of Elvis in The Handmaid's Tale. Like that is part of a, a How to a return genre. love. His oh, way. Oh my gosh. A bodice it's ripper. Twilight. It's Twilight. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I'm upset that I've read Twilight as well. I read it for a bit and like now I know the plot and like <laughs> he like teaches her how to fuck. Um, yeah. Okay, so- she is, this is how she meets Elvis. Elvis is a big star. Then the war comes and his, everyone's like, you got to enlist because that's what good boys do. You don't want to lose fans. It'll look cool for you to be a soldier. <laughs> he enlists, he goes to kind of this fake, I mean, it's a real position in the army, but definitely one where he's never in danger over uh, in Germany. And Priscilla's dad is over there because uh, he's in the military. And Priscilla is scouted in a restaurant for Elvis, meaning one of the men who works for Elvis is out looking for children to bring (laughs) back to Elvis. And Priscilla was a hot enough child. (laughs) And an American. And an American, yes, speaks English, that he procures her and is like, would you like to meet Elvis? She's like, yes, of course. And then takes her to him where she will remain for a lot of her life. I mean, how right. horrifying was that? It's it's super weird. I remember my mom, I think, being like, where were her parents in all of this? And her, there was this negotiation with her dad, remember? Yeah. There's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff at the beginning. Like, there were all these rules where her dad was like, okay, look, you can have my daughter, but she has to be 
you know, you have to drive her. There were all these rules around that. I So here's one just regarding the, like, weird incestuousness. The first time, so she's at the house, and the first time Elvis wants to go upstairs with her, um, okay, he says, there's nothing to be frightened of, honey. As he spoke, he was smoothing my hair. I swear I'll never do anything to harm you. He sounded absolutely sincere. I'll treat you just like a sister. Flustered and confused, I looked away. Please. I mean, it is, it is so wild because he, this, we, we have to talk about this right away. Okay, so, because what you're talking about, of like, I'll treat you like a sister. Yeah. He has so much weird sex stuff that mm-hmm. I will say Priscilla presents as pretty normal in the book. Um, but she, he basically says, I'm not going to take Uh, We're never going to have sex until it's perfect. I'm saving Mm -hmm. you. And he was very obsessed with her remaining pristine and angelic and untouched both by him and other men. So he had this like fetish for her virginity. And so she writes all these passages where she would say, later, our lovemaking had more feeling and intensity than ever before. She uses the word lovemaking, but they are not (laughs) having sex. I noticed that too. What is yeah. she talking about? What, okay. what is the lovemaking? That's exactly what we have to talk about. Okay, okay so she good. says, Elvis wasn't le- going to let me go home without taking a little of him with me. What he does didn't- that mean? What does it mean? He didn't, <laughs> he didn't enter me. He didn't have to. Then what? Then what did he do? He fulfilled my every desire. How? I want you back the way you are now, he whispered just before dawn. And remember, I'll always know, you piece of shit. I smiled and nodded. I couldn't conceive of wanting anyone but him. So let's let's break this down. Okay. Okay, so I was like, I go on Instagram and I'm like, okay, so Elvis was eating that puss, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, he must have just been getting it done because she's constantly talking about how great the lovemaking is, but it's not, he's not entering her. Mm-hmm. And she's, she doesn't say enter, she says no entering. So there's no entering in any No backdoor action, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode, like this is gonna get raw. Um, okay, and then <laughs> people sent me Sybil Shepard's memoir, where in her memoir she wrote, uh, she had to teach Elvis what going down on a woman was. He said, uh, he very racistly said that white boys don't do that. Then she says, yes, they do. Should I teach you? And then later, after he meets Sybil, after on the timeline when he meets Sybil Shepherd, there's a video of him uh, got on a hot mic during a documentary where he tells someone he missed something because he was face down in a beaver. And they say, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I was face down in a beaver. And they go, Elvis, you're on mic. He goes, no, no, no. They're just doing picture. It's not sound, right, fellas? And the cameramen go, uh-huh. And it's like, it's on YouTube. You can see it. So, oh, that's amazing. When but you that, yeah, posted that this, I was like, I was like, oh my God, you are the intrepid reporter 2022 needs. I am the Ronan Farrow of events yes. in 1985. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, but that means he was not going down on Priscilla. Right. He has these weird things about her not being entered. Uh, Sybil she- According to Sybil Shepard, like he didn't know how to do anything. So what is Priscilla talking about? And yet she's 14. So I'm just like, is, and she also later says like, I can't do bumping and grinding anymore. I can't do this dry humping. Like it's killing me. I'm begging for him to fuck me. And Elvis keeps saying like, no, I will not have sex with you. I want you to keep you pristine and, and a virgin. But, oh, also in, in Rita Moreno's memoir, she calls Elvis like really boring and bad in bed. Uh, 
in, so this is on a page on page 130. Fearful of not pleasing him, of destroying my image as his little girl, I resigned myself to the long wait. Instead of consummating our love in the usual way, he began teaching me other means of pleasing him. We had a strong connection, much of it sexual. The two of us created some exciting and wild times. Doesn't that sound like someone who's never had sex? Well, it was at this point. Who's never had sex, like trying to describe sex. It's like 40-year-old virgin. Like all, like love, all of it sounds very made up. Yes. And and I kind of got this feeling that maybe um, because he treated Priscilla so differently from all the other women he had dated in his life that she felt like she maybe had to prove that he was attracted to her or that she didn't feel like she was enough because later she's going to have their child, Lisa Marie Presley, and in the book and known, uh, Elvis refuses to have sex with her because mm-hmm. he thinks uh, it's gross to have sex with a mom right. and believes she's like been sullied. And just kind of never makes love to her. I think he makes love to her one more time and then years go by and then she divorces him. Yeah. Oh, it was only, because I, I knew that, I didn't realize it was only one more time. Yeah, wow. she was like, after okay. months of having yeah. these, we finally do it once. Right. And then she's like, and then he, he just won't. And so there's something very weird, I think, with him and sex. And I think mm-hmm. she internalized it and has to like prove to the reader that like she was wanted. Right. I don't know. And that she enjoyed it. Or that, or whatever, whatever, like, um, what's that scene in that movie where Josh Harnett takes, like, a white feather and, like, runs it down a woman's body? It was some forgettable 90s rom-com, and I was like, whoa, is she, like, orgasms from it? And you're like, what? Like, it's like, were they doing that, where he was just, like, blowing on her face, and she was like, I'm coming. (laughs) Was it, the only Josh Hartnett movie I can think of is 40 Days and 40 Nights. I think it was that. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So, Um, right, okay, so was she orgasming? I, it's it's so deeply unclear. Um, it's unclear. What do you think? I mean, I, she's suggesting that she is. Yeah, yeah. She's suggesting that it's phenomenal. And you know what? I'm going to say yes because I just okay, want sure. that for her. Yes, I just me want too. that. I just want to have endured this. I just hope there were some orgasms that were a part of it. That being said, again, he is 10 years older than her. She's yeah. 14 when, when she is writing things like this. And then there's another part. I mean, she really talks about, she really talks about their uh, intimate life, like in detail. So she talks about like how he always wanted to like play games and dress up and do these like little sexual uh, role plays. And then at the end, she says, in no way was this ever perverted or harmful. And it's like, I think she was trying to protect the sexual choices, which I get, but it's like, but you're still 14. So like, you can't say that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like legal might've been like, insert in no way was that. (laughs) Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Or that like, I do feel like she's a, she's protective of him. Yes, it's like for sure. She can say horrible things about him, but she also like loves him. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, well okay, he was her so, her dad in a way. Oh my! It's I so mean, my god. Yeah. And okay, so here's what happens. He uh uh the the war ends. He goes back to Memphis. He decides he wants to move Priscilla in to his home in Memphis, and she's going to finish school there like he's her father uh, and live in his house while he's on tour. He's not even really going to be there Mm -hmm. all the time. He just wants her at home waiting. So he's like, you're going to go to school, and he has to go convince her parents of this. And part of convincing her parents is that he would bring his dad, Vernon, who something's fucking wrong with Vernon. So Vernon would come and be like, yes, my Elvis is a good boy. Like, she can come live with us. Like, I'll be there. And then the other dad would be like, oh, well, this dad is there. I guess she can do this. And 
She cries and screams to her parents. She's like, you have to let, you have to let me, you have to let me. And she's flipping out and her parents feel like they have no other choice. And then she writes, I intended to do whatever I had to hold on to him. Because if he had ever sent me home, it would have meant not only that I'd been wrong in going to him, but that my parents had been wrong for having permitted it. I firmly resolved to make our relationship work no matter what. Which is the same decision Holly Madison makes. (laughs) when she enters the Playboy Mansion. It's like every decision a woman makes when they take on a a relationship they're warned against. And they then feel they have to prove naysayers wrong and then stay and do so much damage to themselves because it feels too hard to go back on the first initial bad decision. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, totally. Right. It's like why you stay, why someone stays in a toxic relationship. It's like, okay, I'm committed to this. It doesn't matter what it feels like or what happens. You're no longer like making, you're no longer paying attention to things on like any sort of granular level. Yeah, because you're working to make sure that you're not wrong or that her parents aren't wrong. I know. Oh my God. Okay, so here's my question for you. Yes. So I was really thinking about this. Like your kid is like losing their mind to go be with the love of their life. I think she's 16 when they send her. Yeah, she's 16. And is like, I'll kill myself. I'll move away. I'll never speak to you again unless you let me do this. Like, do you let your kid do things that are bad for them? Or do you force them to not and become their worst enemy? I mean, that's such a hard, it's such a hard decision because I look back at some of the things that my parents put their foot down about. Actually, like specifically, like there was this guy that I was in, when I was 16, that I was in love with who was... (laughs) So my name's Allison. His last name was Callison. I was like, how be oh Allison Callison? <laughs> yeah, and he was 23. I was 16, and they were just like, no. And I was so angry, so, so angry. And I remember somewhat recently my therapist being like, they were protecting you. And I'm like, ugh, you're taking their side. Um, Allison. <laughs> I just whispered that. I, I whispered I that. So if it. you didn't catch that, what I said was, I was like, you're taking their side. But it kind of allowed me to see that, like, maybe maybe they were making the right decision. But— um. You know, there there are things that I I still, even as an adult, I feel like, oh, the, I wish they had let me make my own mistakes a little more because in in just putting their foot down, it made it so that it made it me versus my parents instead of letting me, like, figure it out myself. Um, but I 100% would not have let my child move into Graceland. I yeah. don't quite know how to handle that, but I just think that that is— I don't think a 16-year-old is ready to leave home yet. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that you have to say you can't have a relationship with this person, but to go finish out high school in someone else's house, I mean, that, that, that whole thing is just too much of a, a powder a, keg. A country away. Her parents yeah. are still in Germany. I, I really love hearing you say that of like, I wish they'd let me because, make my own choices because mm-hmm. I'm— the flip side of like, I, I was the child who was always called, you know, an old soul. And I was always so adult like mm-hmm. that. Um, I know you can't let kids make their own decisions because I remember being let to do that. <laughs> and I know that like, I had no fucking idea what was going on. You know what I mean? I, you think you do, which is right. the heartbreaking thing when you're yeah. a kid. But like, I look back and go, oh, I wish I had not been allowed to do that. Can we talk about the crazy moment where he gives her a sleeping pill and then she's knocked out for days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, 
he's, so first of all, he's just kind of constantly on pills. And Quaaludes yeah. is a big one, which we know, um, from, again, a Holly Madison reference as the rape drug. It's also just a rape drug in other <laughs> rapist drawers. Um, but he, I think he gives her Quaaludes, right? Where it's, she's just... Placidil, I think, is what it's Placidil? called. I, mean, I don't know. Is that a Quaalude? I don't know. But I he need just to, I'm gives not up her on my pills. Ludes. Like, he'd be like, yes. you should take a pill. And right. she's like, he's oh, well, your elf is. So I guess I, well, yeah, but why would she need the, and then it happens a lot yeah. where he'll just give her pills. She'll be like, all right. And then she's right. just kind of gone for days. Yes. Right. So she takes one and then, or two, or I don't know how, I think two, I forget. She, I think she takes two. And then she wakes up in a different room and she's like, what's going on? Like, I'm losing my time with Elvis. And, and, and they're all concerned. They're like, yeah, you've been out for days. <laughs> like, what? She had been I out mean, for days. days. And, but I'm thinking like, who's been, this is what I was thinking. Who's been taking her to the bathroom? Like, presumably she needed to pee during that time, you know? But but I guess this is, but was she just unconscious? Do you Clearly. Do you still pee when you're, I don't, I guess you, I Yeah, you know. pee when you're unconscious, yeah. Okay, okay. I think so. I mean, otherwise they would catheter. I, I mean, who was checking her? If she, oh, you're right. Who was checking they her were, if she was still alive? Like, what, do you think, do you think, for in this book, she's like, yeah, haha, and they were worried, but it was fine. And they were, it was three days of them being like, you killed Priscilla. What are we gonna do? How are you still a star? And then she wakes up, you know? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, and that said, and this is back when she's 14 and she's just visiting for like a Christmas. Uh, he he'll give her pills throughout this. And then one yeah. time when he's like giving a, one of his fucking Bible sermons and he's paying attention to this other girl and not her, she then like goes and takes a bunch of pills to try and, like, die by suicide so that he has to find yes. her. Okay, I made note of that because that time she takes five Placidils. So sorry, the math doesn't add up. She takes five Placidils there. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. If two knocked her out for days, how can she take five here and then just be fine? Shouldn't she be knocked out for, like, a month? We're going mean, to need, like, If a- only we knew <laughs> what the fuck Placidils were. <laughs> I just, I got to look it up. I should have looked it up. Used to treat insomnia— or actually, you know what, Allison? I don't think she took all five. Oh, I think she okay. was she'd put them by the bed so that he would find her. Got and it. And she was going to do it. And at the last second he came in and said goodnight. And she said that was like enough for her. Got it. Okay, she, so it was discontinued in 1999 due to it re- being replaced by the benzodiazepine family, which is like Xanax oh. and stuff like that. I mean, if only Elvis had gotten drugs off the streets, you know, maybe if only he had. And if only he had. He I mean, did, didn't he get that badge though? He got his. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> he or he didn't in, get from the badge. Nixon. I think. Oh my god. I think he ended up. Yeah, if only he hadn't. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I mean, so he's he's doing a lot of bad things to himself. He some of them are being passed on to her. She is so lonely at Graceland. She has nothing to do. There's she. She has no friends. She's just there waiting for him. He's on tour, so she starts modeling at some little stores in town, and then. One day she's she misses his phone call and he's like, you have to quit modeling. You need to be able to be here to pick up the phone whenever I call. Um, monster, grooming, grooming. He tells I her, hated him in that moment. Oh, I hate him. And also uh, uh, he's dating other women and she, and she just like kind of, she's not allowed to ask about it. He tells her he hates aggressive women. So she never is allowed to yeah. show sexual desires for him because it grosses him out. 
And then she writes that he knew he could mold her. She wasn't in entertainment like his other girlfriends. She didn't have any desires beyond him. And he was pretty obsessed with the roles of what a man does and what a woman does. Right. So anytime she gave her opinion, he'd be like, you're not a man. I'm a man. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, because she said she had something gently negative to say about one of his songs or something, and he yeah, freaked out. Yeah, Where she was Ugh. like, oh, I was thinking the drums more. could be more fun, and he, and yeah. he throws a chair. <laughs> and he's like, right. I'm a man. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I hated him so much. Mm. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. And then, so he starts doing all these like movie musicals. And in one of them, he's going to be paired with Anne Margaret, who's been written up as the female Elvis. Yeah. And she's really nervous because she knows Elvis loves himself. So he's probably going to love <laughs> right. Anne Margaret. It's a real narcissist moment. And she knows it's coming. And she goes to, it's like, I mean, he's out there for a long time. He tells her she can't come out. It's published in the newspaper that he and Anne Margaret are engaged. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how much detective work this took, but in her his hotel room, she like finds a telegram and Margaret had sent him. And he makes her feel special for having found out about the affair. He's like, nothing can get past you, little one. <laughs> you, you're so good. <laughs> and then he, he does this page. Uh, he does this page. He does this. I'm going to read from this page. Elvis grabbed me and threw me on the bed. Look, goddammit. I didn't know this was going to get out of hand. I want a woman who's going to understand that things like this might happen. He gave me a hard, penetrating look. Are you going to be her or not? I stared back at him, 
furious and defiant, hating him for what he was putting me through. After a long pause, our tempers cooled considerably. Once again, desperate to please, I said, I'll leave tomorrow. I'll be waiting in Memphis. Because he's like, get out of here. I got to wrap things up with Anne. Wait, I, oh, I feel so, okay. I feel very naive. So he really was having an, an affair with Anne. That was oh, your yeah. read of it. Okay. Oh, yes. I, I think a thousand percent. No, tell me, what, do you, what did you think? I thought it was like things get out of hand, like the rumors gotten out of hand. But no, obviously, I feel, oh, I feel so sad. I feel, oh, I, mean, I was like a 14-year-old reading this. I feel so naive that I was I know, like, I thought it was the rumors getting out of hand with Anne. Because but, he's a manipulator. He needs manipulating you through yes. Priscilla's book. No, it totally, your, yeah. your read makes much more sense I mean, than my, yeah. like, believing the bullshit. Oh, I feel so silly. <laughs> I love this revelation because she writes that Elvis, and after after this paragraph, she said, um, um, she said he's a master of manipulation, not only with her, but with everyone in his life, and that this was one of the ways he manipulated and controlled her. And so it's like, he was always doing this. So here's something I wonder, because she sort of insists on and off throughout that he was a special man, he always cared for her and Lisa, and he was, like, deeply generous and blah, 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 despite evidence to the sort of the contrary throughout. Like, what do was he a sociopath? Was he a narcissist? You know, if we were to diagnose him personality-wise, where, where, where do you slot him, do you think? Great question. I mean, I, you know, he was very young when he was trying to make music and got very successful. A bunch of powerful people are manipulating him as well. Um, but I mean, it, he, he seems like someone who was either going to do this or become, um, a minister <laughs> or a preacher, mm. you know, like he was either going to lead had church that charisma. Yeah, and he, and he wanted people to love him and like him at every second. That's what I read it as. What did you read it as? Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I didn't get the sense ever despite what she's saying, that he cared deeply about other people's feelings. Uh, you know, I didn't see I agree. him. I agree. I, I don't think there's a moment in there where we see him do anything selfless or compassionate, right? No, you're right. And he's very, very self-serving, but in a baby way. He's like, I'm a baby. Yeah. And so then it's it doesn't feel like mean because it's like he's making you do things for him by being like a sweet baby. Right. Yeah, he doesn't do anything diabolical. Yeah, except he does through being a baby. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, through yeah. being unaccountable in that yes. way that we've seen. It, it's in that, and there's people, so many people that one encounters, like it's, uh, many celebrities are like this. You know, it's that sort of like very charming, manipulative, I get away with it because I'm so charming and manipulative and I'm not gonna act like an adult and I'm not gonna, you know, hold up my, I'm, I'm not going to take care of my side of the street. Uh, everyone else will clean up for me kind of thing that's like just garden variety, non-adult sort of yes, stuff. Yes, garden variety, <laughs> non-adult is incredible. Except except he's paired with supreme talent and now the world will do anything for him. This actually yes. is a great transition to The Colonel. So did you see the Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie? I haven't seen it yet. I really want to see it. Have you seen it? Yes, I saw it specifically. One, I love Baz Luhrmann. I don't think this was... Um, 
it's not my favorite Baz Luhrmann movie, but I, w- I would have seen it for that, but I especially saw it for this podcast. And um, I wondered if I should, yeah. It's, I would call it like, I mean, I, it, it's like, it's it's very visually stunning. It's like a malaise of Elvis. Like the, the story points are not really um, nailed into the ground. You're just kind of mm-hmm. like floating through Elvis-dom for a little bit. But the whole plot of the story is between Elvis and the Colonel. And... Can I spoil just a uh, no? My tiny friend, bit? I I already know. I mean, yes, please. I already know from a friend and from watching the trailer. The colonel's like villainous. Yes. Okay. So yes. Yeah. So the colonel is like this colonel from Holland who turns out to not be a colonel and is really really bad for Elvis and keeps him working through drug addiction through disease and takes all of his money and. Elvis is a dum-dum who doesn't know how to do anything. That's the truth. And Colonel makes it that way. And mm-hmm. then puts him in a bunch of shitty movies and kind of runs his career into the ground, but not before, like, wringing him dry by doing the show in Vegas. Priscilla specifically writes in the book on page 190, she says, Colonel did not intentionally plot to make Elvis sound bad or to get artistic control. His only interest was in getting out the product so the money could keep coming in. But when he started crossing over the line from business negotiations into Elvis's artistry, Elvis slowly began going downhill. Hmm. Interesting. So it's like you're really taking a hard stance to stand up for him, but it's like, were you just a young girl and that was the manipulation Colonel was doing or... I, I feel very lost in the kernel of it all. It and and also Vernon is Elvis's mom has died, but Vernon's around and Vernon's doing just a terrible job at everything. That's Elvis's dad. He's just right. I, I'm Vernon's a Vernon is really uh, an image of his name, you know. <laughs> well, now where Vernon. so Priscilla's still alive. Lisa Marie is still alive. Like yes. they're in modern day. Where are they with the? Baz Luhrmann film. Oh like, have they commented so, on here's how on I, what they think about it? Here's how I had an idea the film might not be great. Because you know how they have these like big pull quotes in the trailer of mm-hmm. like stupendous, amazing. Yeah. So there's like there's a trailer that exists that's the only one I saw that has like three quotes of like incredible portrait of Elvis's life, wonderfully done, superb. They're all from Priscilla. So it's, I was like, wait, Priscilla Presley's the only person who reviewed your movie about Elvis and Priscilla Presley. <laughs> so like the quotes are like, amazing, Priscilla Presley. <laughs> Great job, Bass Lerman, Priscilla Presley. And then um, she and the guy who played Elvis like uh, went to the Met Gala together. And so like, she's all for this movie. And she's so then in it. She, she seems to be saying that she seems to be signing off on this take on the Colonel. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, or she's in, you know, Elvis was her entire identity. Right. And this is a... You know, this is sort of maybe a last hurrah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Also, you know, she's probably processed a lot more of this. Since yeah. Then. Um, um, so I don't know. Okay. Okay. So there's a couple sections we'll skip through, which is Elvis gets a new barber and gets like really into spirituality to the point oh where he almost God. like ruins his life and everyone else's life. It's yeah. so long. Like he just keeps reading philosophy books and like won't touch Priscilla. And and then at some point the barber is fired. Yeah. That guy is like the the guy that got a hold of uh, the Beach Boys. Yes. Brian, Brian, yes. Brian Jones. Oh God. Yeah. Just a, so just a weird little phase. And then mm-hmm. the other, I think this is my favorite part of the I think this is my favorite um, um, paragraph in the entire book. Okay. Um, Pull over, Elvis ordered the driver. Someone's in trouble. He jumped out of the car, Jerry and Sonny following him. Going up to one of the men, he said, hey, you want to give somebody trouble? Give it to me. 
Hey man, the guy answered, scarcely able to believe this was Elvis. I don't have a problem with you. I'm not arguing with you. I'll show you something. If you want to get into an argument, Elvis said. He shot out a karate kick, and to his surprise and everyone else's, he knocked a pack of cigarettes out of the guy's pocket. Among our group, Elvis wasn't known for his precision in karate. (laughs) And then she says, when we got home the way Elvis told it, you think he just wiped out half a battalion. We all supported his fantasy. This is where I wrote the ultimate chode. He was such a chode. He was super into karate and he was bad at it, but made everyone around him pretend that he was like amazing at doing kicks. Right. So it's kind weird. of sad. It's so sad. That's kind of sad. Like they're all humoring That's him. Pathetic. That's pathetic. Yeah. I mean, like, and it's karate. I I thought this was the funniest part of the book. I loved it. Yeah. It was I I was my favorite <laughs> revelation. Yeah. Um, okay, so she's kind of hidden in Graceland for many years. He's off on the road dating other women. She's waiting for the day he'll marry her when she is 18. And finally that day comes, he proposes to her. And here's where we should talk about some wedding looks and also mention that he had given Priscilla an extreme makeover. So he dyes her hair black because he wants it to match his. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he likes it when she wears heavy, 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 extreme makeup. Yes. uh, Which he modeled after other women he had dated. Mm -hmm. And and also it makes her look older, but then he's also obsessed with virginity. And then in her iconic wedding look, she's got 10 pounds of eye makeup on. A bouffant of the century. For no other reason, buy the book for the photos. Like I loved these photos when I was a kid and I love them now. Yeah. I mean, also, I'm planning a wedding, and one of the first things people always bring up uh, is Priscilla's hair. Like, oh, are you going to do, like, Priscilla hair? And, um, I mean, her wedding photos are, like, so stunning. And, of course, you read the wedding story, and it's, like, not anything like it looks. Did you like Priscilla's wedding look? Yes, I do like it. I did, I and too. I do. Yeah. I did, and I do. And I love hair that big for the wedding. Like, mm-hmm. I think big wedding hair is fucking tight. Yeah. Um, All right, so now, listen, she's been edging us all in the book. It is time for Priscilla to lose her virginity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is how it goes. Gently, his lips touched mine. Then he looked deeply into my eyes. My wife, he said softly as he drew me close. I love you, Scylla, he murmured, covering my body with his. The intensity of emotion I was experiencing was electrifying. The desire and lust that had built up in me throughout the years exploded in a frenzy of passion. Could he have known how it would be for me? Had he planned this all along? I'll never know. But I do know that as I went from child to woman, the long romantic yet frustrating adventure that Elvis and I had shared all seemed worthwhile. As old fashioned as it might sound, we were now one. It was special. He made it special, like he did with anything he took pride in. I don't buy that for one hot second. Oh, tell me. I just, I, it's just not like that. For the, for the first time is just not like that. So <laughs> I just don't believe it. Uh, as you pointed out, Elvis did not know what he was doing in the sack. Uh, and there's just, uh, in my experience in life, anything that you've built up that much. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess they've had their passionate lovemaking, whatever that is. So maybe 
you know, they've been brought, she's been brought to the brink of this so many times that maybe it was like magical or something. I guess maybe, maybe I'm coming, I'm talking myself out of my feeling. I, maybe I, it could I have been I that great. I believe it. He's okay. literally been edging her for four yeah. years. Right. Possibly she's never come. And right. this is maybe the first time. Yeah. And she's literally been on her hands and knees as she's spelled out in the book, begging him to fuck her for right. years. Okay, maybe it was that great. Please, Elvis, fuck me. And he'll be like, no. And like, she finally got it. And like, maybe just emotionally, she might have been like, whew. Yeah. Okay. I got it. All right. I'll believe it. (laughs) But that being said, uh, everything else in the book so fucked. But you're right. First time stories, terrible. And she's maybe the one person with like a great virginity story. Right. Right. Because usually you don't have four years of, of passionate groping or whatever it is they've been doing leading up to it. Like, they probably do know each other's bodies really well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's all so fucked. I'm just really happy she had, like, one good sexual encounter from this man. And then, to her dismay, she thinks they're finally a couple. She's basically been holding on for mm-hmm. the fact that he would marry her, she would become the famous person's wife and it would all be worth it. And then she gets pregnant very quickly. And while she always wanted to have kids, she doesn't get to travel or be his wife because he treats her like she's not a person anymore right. once she becomes a pregnant woman. And um, get out your drinking glasses for the Celebrity Book Club drinking game because uh, a pregnant woman lists her exact weight in the book, which is weirdly a theme. <laughs> There's so many books where they're like, and I weighed this much when I was pregnant. So Priscilla said, I intended to prove that a pregnant woman did not have to get fat. I wanted to refute Elvis's claim that, quote, women use the excuse of their pregnancy to let themselves go. Although the doctor said that a 25-pound gain would be fine, I immediately dropped from my normal 110 pounds to 100 pounds. During the next four months, I regained just five pounds and only nine more by the time of delivery. Eating one meal a day and snacking on apples and hard-boiled eggs, I prided myself over never needing to buy a maternity outfit. This is disgusting. (laughs) Yeah, there's a few things in here that make me, and in general, I like her. But there's a, I mean, if I were her friend, I think that, it would be a short friendship. But in general, but this, and I know I'm jumping ahead, but like her just talking about the two times they paddled Lisa and her without uh any problem, like her just, you know, she totally thinks that's fine, clearly. Those things I'm like, oh, we have have some different values, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's kind of one of those things of like, it's— it's it's this thing I think about all the time in these books, which is like, well, she was groomed by a man when she was just a child. So the fact yes. that she's going to grow up and be an adult who does very bad things is like, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you were groomed by Elvis when you were 14. Right. Like, of course, you're an adult who thinks that this behavior is good yeah. during your pregnancy because this man was your father. Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a bummer she passed it on in this book. I'm sure that made so many women feel terrible in 1985 right. when they were reading this. And, um, and by the way, the 25-pound recommendation, they have increased that. Not that much, but... But So just counterpoint, I gained like 80 with my... I mean, it wasn't... I gained way more than the recommendation. I I would not recommend... No, maybe it was... It was 70 or 80 with my first. And then like, I was like, I'm not doing that again with my second because it was, you know, uh, way more than I would have wanted to. So I'm really going to like, I'm going to do the Priscilla situation with my second. And then it was like 10 pounds more with my second. So 
there's a range. Priscilla on one end and me on the other end. And it all worked out fine. Yeah. And also, I've never been pregnant and I've gained all that weight just because. (laughs) Yeah. You don't even have to be pregnant. Yeah. You can just be alive. Oh, it's so sad. It's so sad. There's a few books that do this. And then, okay, here's what I have to ask you. What did you think about Nancy Sinatra throwing her her baby shower when Elvis had dated Nancy at the same time he dated Priscilla? Wait, remind me why I'm having a big brain. So when she's like about talking this. to when she, when she's like living with Elvis, there's these rumors that he's or or maybe when she just started dating, there's rumors that he's dating Nancy Sinatra, and they're in the press together of like they are dating. Right. And she 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 rarely confronts Elvis, but it's so much that she confronts him. Like, are you dating Nancy Sinatra? He tells her that he's not. Years later, when she gets pregnant and seemingly has no friends of her own and does not know Nancy Sinatra, Nancy Sinatra reaches out and is like, hey, should I throw you a baby shower? And she's like, yeah, okay. And then they do. And there's a picture of them taken for the press. I, I, my, my reaction throughout, repeatedly on and off throughout the book is that it's as if she's a non-person somehow. Yeah. It's like yeah. her feelings, her personhood, none of it really matters. It, like, it doesn't matter what, no one cares what, what her reaction would be. She's kind of just an, an Elvis accessory. Oh, and it's Allison, sad. that was so well articulated. Oh. And yeah, it, it's not really a Priscilla memoir. It's an autobiography of Elvis mm-hmm. through her lens. Like we learned yeah. everything about Elvis, but, and it's, again, it's because he groomed her. Um, and also you were speaking about your parents' age difference. My mom um, met her first husband when she was 14. Oh, um, wow. And they got married. And um, and they're married for a really long time. And like when I read this book, like in her child eyes going through this, it just like, I don't know. You just, I just find so much like my heart is like with Priscilla and like with mm-hmm. my mom and like any woman who is like taken in with an older man. And it then like forms the rest of your life yeah. and like who you are that because that romantic partner becomes like stronger than a parent. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I think that's part of the fantasy is I can just like hopping from one lily pad to the next. Like I can just hop from my, uh, the life I have with my, you know, family of origin to this next, uh, you know, next uh, stage in life. And I don't have to do the hard work of like individuating and figuring mm. out who I am. Like, I'll just go from yeah. one family to the next one. And it yes. seems, it's like so easy seeming. Totally. And also I put a lot of like trust. Like I sort of thought like, um, oh, all the reasons like bad things that happened because like those guys were young and you're an older person. So mm-hmm. everything you say must be correct and right. right. Not knowing that they were even more stunted than many of my peers because they're dating a kid for a well, reason. He likes you because he's so immature. Yeah. Thank God she takes dance classes and has an affair. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. And she only gives three sentences to it. She's like, it's and then, so you fast. know, I had an affair. And you're like, Priscilla, come on, girl. Like, yeah. But that's where we would have learned about her and her wants. And like, right. she's had a child. He's refusing to fuck her. He's v- very much not in this marriage. Like, I'm so happy she had an affair. But I wish it's, she said something about it. Right. It's so interesting. So there's like this guy. Yeah. So she takes dance classes and there's like a, you know, charming, hot dance teacher. Eventually they have an affair and then she decides it has to stop. 
it, that that's the extent of it. Yes, it's was, three I sentences, w- not even very, a paragraph. Felt very you go girl with that. I know. I was like yes, and then it and then it stopped, and I was like no, Priscilla, this is your book, but it's you're right. Elvis's book. Yeah, but she's yeah. but she doesn't seem to feel it, weird. Do you think she felt bad about it? The fact that she makes it such a quick little. I mean, she stopped it so quickly, so maybe she does. But I she think so. I think her yeah. whole thing was like the one good woman that Elvis had. The one good woman that he gave up, that he ruined. And I think especially in that year, um, I feel like she would have faced, like people could read this whole book about her gro- him grooming her and be like, you're a whore. <laughs> you said you had an affair. <laughs> you know, like- Right, maybe, you, yeah. You slut, how could you do that? That's what I I think it was. Right. I'm not sure. That might be my guess. Okay, <laughs> so then the colonel puts Elvis- in a show in Vegas. And he's just constantly in Vegas. And this is the sort of the end of Elvis's career. It's also the end of his marriage. And this is also when Elvis starts doing some really fucking weird things that I'm going to read to you right now. Uh, so like Allison said earlier, he writes letters to Nixon, begging Nixon to get drugs off the street and let Elvis be the one to do it. Elvis, the person who drugged Priscilla. And then on the next page, she said... Elvis was an avid badge collector. Oh, such a chode. He had detective <laughs> <Totally>. police. <laughs> I mean, this is chode behavior. Um, she said he had detective police and sheriff badges from all over the nation. And the narc badge represented some kind of ultimate power to him. In Elvis's mind, that badge would give him the right to carry any prescribed drug he had on his person. But he's obsessed with getting rid of drugs. Okay. The badge would also give Elvis and his Memphis Mafia the right to carry arms. With the federal narcotics badge, he could legally enter any country both wearing guns and carrying the drugs he wished. His obsession with obtaining this badge was triggered by a private eye named John O'Grady, whom Elvis had hired to handle a paternity suit. Okay. I would like a little more detail on that. A little more detail. There's an Elvis child out there. O'Grady showed Elvis his federal narc badge, and Elvis... His mind started clicking immediately. How could he get one himself? John O'Grady mentioned that John Fentler was the man Elvis should see. This is too many Johns. Anyways, he tries really hard to get this fucking badge, and they're like, no, you can't fucking have this. Thank God. And um, this is, he's just like a dude who collects badges, and then later calls Priscilla up one night and says, I'm working with some great mafia guys. Is there anyone you'd like me personally to off? Right. Like, just between us. I'm just, like, I'm a man of the streets. I stand corrected. So he does care about her feelings. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's Take right. it back. He is thoughtful. Take it back. Also, yeah. crossover to Elvira's memoir, Cassandra Peterson. She meets him in Vegas while he's doing this show. He brings her up to his room as if he's going to have sex with her and then gives her a speech about how she shouldn't do drugs. And then... What a weirdo. What, what a an uncool weirdo. weirdo. But... Now, we are to the second best part of the book. Priscilla starts taking karate classes. And I'm like, oh, come on, girl. You're doing karate now, too? But I guess it was something Elvis would approve. So she's Mm -hmm. like, I'm really into karate. She becomes a black belt. She's literally training with Chuck Norris and his partner, Mike. And she's like, I'm loving karate. I'm doing karate. And she has an affair with Mike who she also doesn't write a lot about. But from this affair, it's very clear that she's like, I do karate, I have a black belt, I'm fucking Mike, I'm divorcing you. And she divorces Mm -hmm. Elvis. Yeah, but not before uh, Elvis essentially rapes her. Right? Oh, did I skip a rape? (laughs) 
So, I don't know. I wrote rape question mark. The second paragraph down. Want me to read it? Yep, yep. Yes, Okay. Please. So, um, they're in Las Vegas. Uh, okay, so a couple months later in Las Vegas, Joni, Nora, um, Joni, Nora, Fike, Red's wife, Pat and I were having dinner in the Italian restaurant at the Hilton between Elvis's shows. The maitre d' came to the table with a message that Elvis wanted to see me upstairs in the suite. I remember thinking how unusual this was. Elvis rarely went to the suite between shows. I went upstairs filled with curiosity, and when I arrived in the suite, I found Elvis lying in bed, obviously waiting for me. He grabbed me and forcefully made love to me. It was uncomfortable and unlike any other time he'd ever made love to me before, and he explained, this is how a real man makes love to his woman. This was not the gentle, understanding man that I grew to love. He was under the influence, and with my personal growth and new realities, he had become a stranger to me. I wept in silence as Elvis got up to dress for the show. In order for our marriage to survive, Elvis would have had to take down all the artificial barriers restricting our life as a couple. There there was too much room for doubt, too many unanswered questions for the mind to play upon. Um, And then it goes on. Yeah, I don't don't know. Like, No, no, I think you're right. She says, um, his attempt at reconciliation had come too late. I had taken possession of my life. Yeah. I think you're so right. And she did not want to write that he raped her. And so she called it lovemaking. But he said, forcefully made love to me. It was uncomfortable and unlike any other time. I mean, to me, that's like- And she weeps afterwards. Yeah. You're right. No, you're right. He forced himself on her. Yes, and she wasn't okay saying it either in the book or to herself. You're so right. I mean, right. And this, so I, I believe what happened is like the karate stuff and the affair happens. He gets when she's gonna leave him. He does this to her, and then she's out the door. Which, by the way, the shittiest part about the Baz Luhrmann movie is that it skips over the fact that she's 14. It skips over any abuse. It skips over moments like these that are recorded in her own book. I mean, mm-hmm. the Priscilla in the movie has maybe a minute of screen time. And that movie is fucking three hours long. Like they don't go into the way he was in his love life at right. all. Like it's a love story between him and the Colonel. And I'm just like, what a, what a miss. Okay. So then Elvis and Priscilla, Elvis and Priscilla famously leave divorce court holding hands while he already has another girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She's asking him like, does she cook for you? Does she make sure you eat right. all your, your food food and get your sweet foods? <laughs> and like, he's like, oh, she's not as good as you, Priscilla. And they kind of, you know, intonate. Maybe they'll get back together one day. But she's like finally finding herself because, you mm-hmm. know, she's an adult woman now and being herself for the first time. And realizing, and- at least or paying lip service to it in the book, like realizing kind of how much she missed out on discovering herself for all the years that she was with him. Yes, I think. Yes, 100%. There is a weird thing where she says, though, that when they were around Lisa, they would give each other gentle kisses and, like, hold hands. And I'm just thinking, like, how confusing for your daughter. Oh, my God. I know. And also, the way they describe Lisa is, like, this wild child that yes. neither of them parented. Yes. And so she knows no authority. <laughs> and right. And maybe is—and just kind of has no parents. And But, yes. And then— um. You know, so, and then we know that, you know, Elvis dies and, and and she's very much still in his life and Lisa's in his life and it's this big devastating thing. He has, he he was a very complicated man and also um, there's a lot of reports about why he died, like obviously the pills, but like there's also this idea that he 
not idea. I think he had this disease. Have you heard this? That he that that makes it so you can't um, poop, and it was all it stays inside your body. Was it that he was on so many pills that he couldn't poop? I thought it was an actual disease oh. that he wasn't diagnosed with, and then also the pills that make you so constipated. But I mean, I, I don't know. know. I'm not. I'm not an Elvis detective. I'm a Priscilla detective. Um, unclear. Well, so yeah, it, there was nothing about that in the book. But when I was reading the end, I'm like, wait. I thought that he like died on the toilet or something. Cause yeah, so like yeah. that's in, you know, pop culture, but yes. I don't know the, how that says, works. Like, oh, there's a lot of like, he wasn't left alone a lot. There's a lot of questions around this, like, which also leads to like, he would have been on the toilet. That would be an only one of the only places right. where Elvis wasn't being watched. And that also goes along with the idea that like, he had a lot of stuff built up in his system, plus drugs and was like trying to get it out and had a, like a heart failure. Because he was straining, though, or that's just yeah, where I it think, happened. I think that's the idea. Yeah, oh boy. And I think it's like thought to be like not a becoming death, and so not right. one that they want for Elvis. Yeah. But, I mean, the world really covered up what a dork ball yeah. he was, and I'm and I f- I feel like okay in saying these things about him because he like groomed children, <laughs> and so I feel okay. Like, but I mean, wow, what a weirdo! He's just such a weirdo, and then. Yeah. She she mentions okay. him shooting, t- like, in one line, she mentions that he shot a couple TVs. Yeah. Oh, um, and he got re- and he, yeah. And he got into were, horses and made them, oh, yeah. made them I live in a trailer and live on a ranch for a while. Like, it, he went through a yeah. lot of phases. He was searching. She talked about, like, she had spent so much time in darkened rooms with him um, that she realized that she missed simple pleasures like taking a walk. And it, that almost Oof. makes it seem like she's a hostage. She is a hostage. Yeah. Like, she doesn't think she is. And many hostages believe they are willing participants. And right. also women in abusive relationships constantly think that they are a willing participant. That's part of it. And, like, yeah, she was totally a hostage. I mean, that's what makes me mad about the Baz Luhrmann movie. Like, you here you have a story of a 14-year-old girl who literally, through Chuck Norris karate, is <laughs> able to leave her abuser. And we right. didn't capitalize on that. Yeah. Like, what a story. And also in the book, like everything is Elvis, 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 Elvis. Like we don't get to know her. I thought, I thought she wrote a, a pretty good ending. She said, I learned from Elvis often, sadly, from his mistakes. I learned that having too many people around can sap your energies. I learned the price of trying to make everyone happy. Elvis would bestow gifts on some, making others jealous, often creating rivalries and anxieties within the group. I learned to confront people and to face issues. Two steps Elvis had avoided. And then for her very last paragraph, she said, When Elvis Presley died, a little of our own lives was taken from each of us who knew and loved Elvis Presley, who shared in his music, his films, who followed his career. His passion was entertaining his friends and fans. His audience was his true love. And the love Elvis and I shared was a deep and abiding one. He was and remains the greatest influence in my life. That's just sad. I know, but just I, sad. I, I loved how she said his true love was his audience. Mm-hmm. Such a beautiful way of saying his true love was himself. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and she says he remains the greatest influence on her life, which is like, thank God she didn't say the love of my life. Like, it, it felt like so much growth was here. And mm-hmm. she said influence, because again, he was God, daddy, and husband. Right, right. The three, the holy trinity, right? God, yes. daddy, husband. God, daddy, husband. Um, okay. So at the end of every podcast, we do something called the Bookdale Test, as you know. So first question, did the author share her truth? I think so. I think 
I think she very smartly shared her truth. I bet she could have said a lot worse, but chose not to versus, I don't, but I think she's aware of the worst things she could have said and decided like they weren't for this book. Okay. So let's figure this out. It, she wrote it in 85, right? Yes. When did he die? Elvis 80s, died right? in 1977. So she's writing oh. this about eight or nine years after his okay. death. Because I my hunch is she did a lot of growth after he died too. So I'm just thinking like, Yes, and she's about 40 years old when she's writing it. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. There, there was more truth to share, but I think she did. Okay, second question. Was it entertaining to read? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was horrifying. I mean, yeah. as a kid, I bet I would have thought it was, like, so romantic and mm-hmm. hot. And, like, I think I would have read it as porn. Because <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of, like, there's just so much, like, flirting and, and bumping and grinding. I think I would have been, like, this is the hottest book I've ever read. Um, as an adult, it was just a horrifying read. Horrifying. Yeah, because I'm, because I, I, now I'm, like, identifying with the parents, just being, like, you're selling your children to this creepy dude. But, like, imagine you're a high schooler. The biggest star in the land is asking your dad if he can invite you over to his house. That Nothing is more exciting than that. Oh, yes. my God. Oh, yeah. yes. You're scouted by Elvis? <laughs> I mean, yes. wow. It was a ride. Okay, and final question. Did reading this book elevate your life in some way? I'm going to say yes. Because I have a real phone addiction. It's, it's mm. bad. Yeah. And— when I was reading this, I was able to go like, whoa, I haven't looked at my phone for the time that my <laughs> nose has been in this book. That is growth on my part. That, and also I think that, uh, you know, it's good to revisit and see things a little more clearly. So, yes. I thought that was a beautiful stretch, Allison. And I'm going to say, <laughs> no, this book did not elevate my life. It's just kind of all about him, which is so odd. And I hope that um, maybe in her years now, Priscilla writes a book about herself. Yeah. Um, because I would love that book. And Allison, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Tell everyone where they can find your other phenomenal podcasts and your social media and everything about you. I will. And you need to come on my podcast, please. I'm there in a second. Okay, great. Whatever you say. We can talk wedding stuff too. Um, Please. Okay, so please follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram, um, A-L-I-S-O-N-R-O-S-E-N. Please listen to my podcasts. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. That comes out Mondays and Thursdays. Upworthy Weekly, that comes out on Saturdays. And Childish, that comes out every other Wednesday. Um, Yeah, and just uh, Google me and you'll find all my stuff. Yes, um, and she has gorgeous hair, so worth a Google. Worth a Google. Thank you. Um, And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. This was delightful. That's all for this week's episode. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. That is where I'm constantly book clubbing in my stories and there's a digital book club going on. I will also post things from the episode sometimes that call back. So it's one ongoing conversation and I'm at Chelsea Devantes. We also have a Facebook group called Celebrity Book Club Podcast. That's where you can start your own conversation. And if you really, really love this podcast and you want one extra episode a month, join our Patreon. You can join for just a dollar a month and you get all of the bonus episodes. Or if you can give more, do the $5 a month option. But we have a pay what you can option. It's open to everyone. Here's the thing. The worst part about this is that you're going to have to take a moment to fill in your email on Patreon and become a member. I know that sucks. That super sucks. I hate filling things out. It's such a bummer. But if you do it once, $1 a month supports us and we give you more episodes and we try and send lots of fun things. So consider joining patreon.com slash Chelsea Montez. It's linked in the show notes. And um, your Patreon 
funds go to support the production of this podcast. So let's give out a huge shout out to our producer, Kate Downey, and our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. They make it possible so we can keep reading these juicy books. And there's more on the way. And I will see you next week. <laughs>